in a world where post-it notes are the only form of currency. There's only one man who can use his quarters in the gumball machine. <laughs> I am that man. Hi! Welcome to Geek Film Critic, where we explore the best, worst, and most middle in the world of cinema. My name is Luke Jackson. I'm your host, your best friend, and your uh, your paper towel. Use me to clean up all the spills better than Bounty. <laughs> I'm absorbent as hell. <laughs> um, it's good to be back. I apologize for not recording an episode last week. It's been quite the week. We got a little baby puppy dog. And uh, she broke her leg the, the day we brought her home. And you might be saying, wow, Luke, it sounds like you're a terrible dog father. And to that, I'd say, yeah, we, <laughs> we are doing our best. And it's kind of been a rough week, but she's doing better. And uh, you may hear her whining in the back of this episode. She's asleep right now. But anyways, <laughs> that's why I missed last week. But I'm excited to be back. And um, this week's a big one. It's an exciting one. It's... it's uh, there's a lot of history and a lot of hype that went into this film uh, this week. I'm going to be talking about Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, the original Justice League came out in 2017, and uh, you know there's a whole <laughs> whole thing behind it, which we'll get into in just a minute. But um, the the cut Zack Snyder's cut came out very recently uh, last month middle of last month on HBO Max and um, I had the opportunity I, I never saw the original uh, Justice League I missed it in 2017 I didn't see it in theaters I didn't see it when it came out so I hadn't seen it up until this month and I, I decided that it would be wise for me to undertake the task of watching both films back to back so if you do the math, that's about six hours of Justice League, <laughs> which I watched in one day, which it was a lot. It was a lot of Justice League. But at the same time, I, I actually, <laughs> I think if, if, if you haven't seen either of them, I think I would recommend watching both of them back to back. I think you'll get a better appreciation for what uh, Zack Snyder was trying to do with his personal cut and what um, Joss Whedon and the Warner Brothers studio failed on accomplishing in the first cut. Um which again, I'll get into more in just a minute, but just kind of a brief overview of what Justice League is about. It follows, both films have the basics, same basic storyline as they follow Batman as he tries to assemble a group of what he deems as kind of gifted individuals to fight against attackers that are coming to Earth from an unknown world. Uh, it, this movie directly follows the event, events of Batman v Superman, which came out in 2016, I believe. Where, at the end of the movie, if you have, haven't seen it recently, Lex Luthor is like, the bell's been rung, they're coming. And so essentially there's an attack coming to Earth and Batman is hearing about this, wary of this, and is trying to gather together this team of superheroes to defend Earth. Um, and so the superheroes that he's identified and has kind of worked with before are Wonder Woman. And he goes out in this film to, to recruit Aquaman, uh, Cyborg, The Flash, and... Of course, Superman, who, again, spoiler alert, at the end of Batman v Superman, uh, dies in his fight with Doomsday. So um, that's basically a very quick rundown of the storyline in these two movies. It's this 
assembling the heroes and fighting the bad guy film. And the superhero genre obviously has been uh, done to death. Marvel has basically dominated cinemas with their superhero movies since 2008 when they came out with Iron Man. And since then, it's been kind of a nonstop slaw of these uh, movies, which Martin Scorsese deems amusement parks. In an article that Scorsese did recently, he, he kind of calls out Marvel movies and says that they're not cinema, that they're amusement parks. And this came out at really, I think, um, perfect time where my opinion of these Marvel movies were kind of changing. And I, this isn't a podcast. This episode's not going to be about Marvel movies. I'm just kind of... I think it's important to do some some contrast between these two because the way that Marvel movies have been made, they've kind of set a precedent and a standard for what Marvel or superhero movies, what movies in this genre are and they can be, right? And I think um, likening them unto amusement parks is very, very brilliant and very, very spot on because... That's what they are, right? They're they're big, they're loud, they're flashy, they're fun for a minute, and they're forgettable, right? Not not a, not a lot happens of substance in the Marvel movies. They're really fun for the two and a half hours that you're watching them, and then after you leave the theater, you don't have to think about them. They don't require thought. They spoon feed you the information, and it's always the good guys are going to win, right? It, they don't switch up the formula very often. Um, and on the other hand, we have the DC. Uh, cinematic universe which has really gotten a bad rep in the last few years and I think one of the reasons that they get this bad rap is because they really stray away from this Marvel formula that they've created and they've been very very successful right like they've been blockbusters since they came out because that's exactly what they were going for and if we look at the DC universe we have really really crappy movies like Green Lantern right which was just horrible but at the same time because of they've strayed from this common formula We've also been given some absolute amazing films like The Dark Knight, right? And so because they're so different movies in the DC universe, it's it's riskier, right? We, 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 get a, we get a very different take on superheroes, which can either pay off like they did with The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight, that Batman trilogy I really love and I think is brilliant. And, you know, The Dark Knight is really the only superhero movie to be critically acclaimed as a masterpiece. There really hasn't been anything like that, and there probably won't be anything like that for a long time because of this formula that has been created by Marvel movies that studios are obsessed with because it makes them millions and millions of dollars every single summer. And what the DC Universe kind of requires in order for it to be taken seriously is a darker approach to superheroes, right? It's grittier, it's dark, it's violent. It's not light and campy, right? It's less it's less uh, propaganda-y being like, America's great. Look at these amazing superheroes. Look at these amazing men and women who are fighting for the American country and keeping New York safe, right? <laughs> that's, that's essentially the Marvel movies. But in DC, there's kind of more of an underlying concept of social commentary where it's what does it take to break a man or or a woman or the darkness that lies in society or what what darkness comes out when you try to fight for the right thing right like that that's definitely more focused on in these DC movies and so in order for it to be successful there needs to be a darker approach cuz it's a darker universe and so there's this this contrast, and that's where the problem with, for me anyways, 
the original Justice League came in when I watched it, right? And, and the story behind it is is sad because um, Zack Snyder ended up leaving the project after his uh, daughter tragically died, and he he couldn't. I mean, I mean, he made the right choice by by deciding to spend time with his family and his loved ones who really needed it at that time, and. So the project got passed over to Joss Whedon. And Warner Brothers had already had some issues with kind of Zack Snyder's visions for these films. Batman v Superman didn't do too well. Man of Steel was kind of whatever. These movies weren't doing as well as they wanted to do. And so obviously what Warner Brothers want and what every studio wants is to make a buttload of money. And the way that they do that is by copying the Marvel formula. right? So who better to bring on than Joss Whedon who worked on Age of Ultron and who has kind of been... This indie superstar in, <laughs> in in the in the world of cinema, right? He did things like Cabin in the Woods and Firefly and um, Doctor Horrible's. Oh, I can't remember the full title. Doctor Horrible's something sing along. That film where and these movies and he did Buffy the Vampire Slayer as well and also Freaks and Geeks, right? He has this catalog of projects that are campy. Right, they're indie. They have these really token characters. They're goofy, right? There's this underlying romance in all of them, and so Joss Whedon took on this project, and he definitely made it a Joss Whedon project. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, Joss Whedon, especially with the current allegations that are coming out, which I'm not going to go into, but if you're interested, you can just Google him. There are just a lot of allegations about him kind of being a little bit racist and a little bit sexist and a little bit hard-headed on set. And so I think all of these factors kind of came together and, and gave us the original Justice League, which ended up being a watered-down Avengers movie without the 10 years of independent films building it up, right? Like, it, it felt like a bad Avengers movie. <laughs> because that's what Joss Whedon did. He, he wrote an Avengers movie where where there's a Batman and Wonder Woman love story and where every character is token and they're and campy and they're joking around with each other and it's light and fun and there's no real danger because they're superheroes and they have it under control. We know that they're going to win. But we didn't care about these characters because we didn't have <laughs> the 10 years of other movies building up to this, right? What made the original Avengers so exciting in 2012 was the fact that there were five entire movies dedicated to building this universe. Justice League didn't have that. And at the same time, in the other movies that Zack Snyder had done, Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, he wasn't going for that, right? He was never, he was never trying to copycat the Marvel Universe. But Warner Brothers wanted that because it makes so much money. And Joss Whedon did that. And so the first original cut was so disappointing because it turned into that and it didn't feel like it was doing these characters which existed already in these two previous movies justice right it felt like it was just cliche and and grabbing for our money right because batman vs superman and men of steel they were never avengers type movies right it was supposed to be these two epic, longer, dark stories, character studies of Superman and Batman and kind of their struggles with being human and their struggles with understanding the good and the bad in humanity, right? And what we're now learning about what this story was culminating in with all of kind of the hype around Zack Snyder's Justice League is that 
eventually these stories were supposed to end in the death of Batman, the death of Wonder Woman, the death of Aquaman, right? All of these characters were supposed to die. It was supposed to be an epic tale that ended, not <laughs> not a, a universe that was created to make a new sequel and a new show for the next <laughs> infinity years, which is what we're getting with the Marvel movies, right? We're going to get a new Marvel movie for the rest of forever, and we're going to get new Marvel TV shows for the rest of forever because everyone will undyingly support them because they're easy to watch and they're fun, right? And so when Warner Brothers tried to recreate that, it clearly didn't work out. And so what Zack Snyder's cut of Justice League did is it kind of did this vision justice in a sense. His vision of creating a different universe, his vision of this darker character studies of these superheroes, which he loves, right? And in my mind, it was undoubtedly better than the original cut. And it didn't feel like I was watching a different cut of the film, but it felt like an entirely different film altogether. And I was blown away by it. I was really impressed. And I think probably a reason that I was really impressed is because I watched them back to back and I had been doing it for six hours. So maybe <laughs> maybe I was a little bit biased and a little bit overtired. But what I wanted to do in this podcast is I encourage you to go listen, watch. Again, if you have six hours on your hand, go watch both of them back to back. But if not, I'm going to kind of highlight a few of the differences that, for me, made this movie, Zack Snyder's Justice League, a success. And in turn, I'm sure I'll be highlighting what made uh, Joss Whedon's Justice League a flop, in my personal opinion. Uh, the first difference I wanted to go into was some things with Wonder Woman. Uh, Wonder Woman is introduced in this film in a scene where she's thwarting these bank robbers in London. And these bank robbers are kind of this local terrorist group whose whose mentality is to just kind of destroy a city block because human beings are the plague and human beings are the issue and there just needs to be a cleansing. Right, and so Wonder Woman comes in and whoops all, whoops all their butts. And in this Zack Snyder's Justice League, there's this one part which, which really, to me, made... And, and encapsulated the differences in these films where Wonder Woman throws one of these thugs into the wall. You know, he has this big uh, Tommy gun and she runs up and throws him into the stone wall of this bank. And his head cracks against the wall and there's a blood splat which drips down and then he falls into a pool of blood. And this was so violent, right? It was so violent and nothing like this happened in Joss Whedon's cut and nothing like this happens in any superhero movies except for maybe like Deadpool and Logan and movies where you know violence is is the story and violence is funny and violence is campy in it or violence is dark because it has this R rating but anyways this blood splat dripped to the ground and immediately the setting changed right this was right at the beginning of the film and immediately we were in the real world where if you throw someone's head into a brick wall, they're going to die and there's going to be a lot of blood. And so that immediately, and I was just like, I loved that touch because it was so simple, but it grounded me in this universe where there are consequences to actions and there are going to be dead people, right? And in the same scene, once the bad guy is like, I don't believe it, how did you, how did you stop me? In Joss Whedon's cut, there's this there's this really horrible line where Wonder Woman goes, <laughs> she goes, I am a believer, 
and it's just horrible because she's he's like I don't believe it and he's like she's like I'm a believer but in this line that's not there right I, I think she says something like believe it and then whatever whoops his butt and so immediately there's this shift again to a more realistic tone and not every line looking to be the caption of the Instagram photo afterwards you know what I mean and there's also this really nice moment human moment with Wonder Woman after she thwarts these this bank robbery where she goes up to this little girl because there was a school visiting the bank and she's this little girl scared and is like how am I supposed to live in this world whatever she doesn't say anything but that's kind of the vibe and Wonder Woman goes you can be anything you want to be and it's just this really simple moment but it's really human and it's something we don't often see with superheroes and I think this is kind of explored in the Amazon Prime series, The Boys, where it kind of deals with these people with superpowers who are real people and who have human moments. And, and I think this was, I, it reminded me of that, where it's like, oh, Wonder Woman may be just kind of this badass chick, this badass Amazon, but she's still a human being, right? She sees, she sees a young girl and she sees herself in that young girl and she wants to help her. And so that was a really nice moment. Another difference was with uh, Cyborg's backstory. Well, and Cyborg's character altogether. Um, in this film, he's a real character, right? He has depth. He has he has a personality, and he has pain. And in the first film, or the original f- film, he's just kind of there. Uh, I believe his name was Ray Lee Curtis, the guy who plays Cyborg. I can't quite remember, and that's on me. I should have done some more research there. <laughs> Ray Fisher, not Ray Lee Fisher, but he's kind of mentioned recently. He's been in the press a lot about how he kind of he, he was tired of feeling like a trope in Justice League, and he's not a trope in Zack Snyder's Justice League, because we get these scenes of his backstory, and we get these scenes which which stretch out the pain of his character, right? Because he's a kid who was a teenage kid who was really bright, really talented, uh, athletically and academically, gets in a car crash, and then his dad essentially brings him back from the dead. He loses his mom, and there's this scene in this film where he's with his mom in the car after a football game, and she's apologizing for his for his dad's absence because his dad's this brilliant scientist. And Cyborg's character doesn't take it, right? He's hurt because his, his dad has been abandoning him his whole life. And then they get in this car crash, so immediately there's this level of pain. And then there's this level of cyborg's father saving him instead of his mom right so we get this real character and then then there's an arc there right there's not really a whole moment of forgiveness but there's a moment of understanding between cyborg and his dad in the film that wasn't there because in in the original cut he wasn't a character and there was this also another really nice moment with cyborg's character that really showed at the core who this person was before he had these superpowers is he's kind of learning to understand his superpowers and understands that he can hack in any system and change things. And there's this really brief shot of this woman who's lost her job or been evicted from her house, has a really rough go, and has like $28 in her bank account. And he goes in and he adds like, I don't know, $10,000 into her bank account, $100,000, so a lot of, a lot of cash. Because he wants to help her out because he's a good person. And it's such a small thing, right? It was a 30-second sequence, but it, it shows us who this character is. And none of that existed in the original cut. And we're going to move over to Aquaman now. In, in the original cut, there's this scene where Aquaman and Batman finally meet. 
And Batman's like, you talk to fish? <laughs> and it's this really dumb <laughs> line, which makes Aquaman seem like the kind of ridiculous character that he's been made out to be on the internet. And I'm sure, I'm sure in the original cut, the intent was to kind of wink at that a little bit. But all it did is it made Aquaman once again feel like this kind of lame character <laughs> who and he's never been a lame character right if you read the aquaman comics you see that he has a lot of depth it's just in popular culture that he's been made out to be this kind of weaker character anyways that's cut out and instead we get this guy in an icelandic village who's taking care of these people again it shows his character and he's not campy they have a real conversation where bruce wayne's like we need your help because i know that you're a good person and i know that you want to help us out but aquaman at the at this point in the film isn't having it and he goes into the ocean and he leaves. And so it's, and even the way that this was shot, there was one shot specifically where Aquaman is in this bar, this tavern, whatever, and, and Bruce Wayne's there trying to talk with him. And there's all these Icelandic people around and they're speaking Iceland, Icelandic. And in the original cut, it's all close ups. And there was this one shot where it kind of sweeps around the bar and shows the scope of this bar. And it was a beautiful shot. And. <laughs> It was just that touch of, I guess, I don't know, that artistic touch or that real touch that showed that the world was bigger than Aquaman and Bruce Wayne at this time. That there were people who were going to be affected and that the reason that Aquaman was going to do this isn't for himself, but is for these people that he's protecting. Because his scope moves from protecting the village to protecting the world. And so, again, these really, really simple things that make a big difference. a couple more things is um, Steppenwolf, the villain's character. In the original cut, his kind of, he's kind of driven by... Well, it's the same overall story where he's driven by these three boxes to summon this evil force to take over the Earth. And in the original, he referred to these three boxes as Mother. But in Zack Snyder's cut, he refers to them as just power boxes that are summoning Darkseid, who's a really... He's essentially the Thanos of this universe, right? He's the big world destroyer bad guy. I think he's more evil than Thanos. Thanos is kind of more of like a neutral evil where he's using logic and reasoning to destroy the Earth. but And then Darkseid is just kind of kill everyone evil. But Steppenwolf, this bad guy, in this film... Is, a, is fallen from Darkseid's order. He's fallen from a place at Darkseid's side. And his whole arc in this film is he's trying to regain his favor. He's trying to regain Darkseid's favor because he misses being powerful, right? And he's no longer just this big bad guy who kicks everyone's ass and <laughs> kills a bunch of people. He's has pain and he's this fallen god who really desperately is wants friends and he's lonely right like that's his character in it and there were at times where i was kind of feeling sorry for him and one little detail that i love too is when he would fight the with the amazons or the people of atlantis they, they put up a fight right he he really almost lost every time we saw him on the screen so he wasn't this overpowered being but someone who was already wary of earth's power and of the power that of the people of earth and so it it made it more realistic when superman comes back and just annihilates him because he's already shown weakness which again that wasn't present before and so i really enjoyed that um 
Obviously, this movie isn't perfect, and there are definitely still some flaws. I have a real issue with the way that they portrayed Flash in this movie. I think I don't have a lot of experience with Ezra Miller. He, I think he was a little bit too quirky for me to be a Flash character. When he meets up with Batman in his little lair, I don't love their dialogue. He's He feels too light to be in this universe, right? And he feels more like a Joss Whedon character, an Avengers character, when I don't think Flash typically is that, right? And so I had a hard time with him at times, but they definitely do a better job here of kind of expanding his story and giving him pain and all of those things which I've talked about before. Um, another flaw is it, it may be a touch long. It's a little bit, <laughs> it's four hours long. It's a, it's a long film. It's not short. And, and there were points where it could be a little bit dry, but overall I was actually impressed with how quickly the four hours went by. Um, the last kind of complaint I had was the last 15, 20 minutes, there was this epilogue where I think Zack Snyder threw it in there to kind of show us where this universe was going where we get a lot of how Aquaman's going to die and these people are going to die and Deathstroke comes in and the Joker comes in and Mera comes in and Superman's turned evil. Kind of like the Injustice storyline if you've played those video games or read those comics. But the epilogue was just kind of whatever and it felt rushed because I think it was just like a little taste. It was almost like a trailer to, to what Zack Snyder was going to keep doing after this film if this, if he hadn't have bailed if the Snyderverse was still a thing, whatever. Um, and, like, whatever, it was fine, but it, it just wasn't my favorite, the epilogue. Jared Leto, Leto as the Joker is fine. Yeah, it was just the only part of the movie that felt whatever to me, fine to me. And so it didn't really seem to fit. But overall, I think this film is super commendable. Yeah, I think it's really amazing that, that Zack Snyder came back. That's pretty ballsy to do and release this cut. And... I think because he came back after such a tragic event, there's so much heart in this movie and so much passion that's so evident that each thought and each decision was so thought out and so cared about because this was a passion project that Zack Snyder was no longer just doing for him and he wasn't doing it for a studio, but he was doing it for his daughter, right? And that was a big deal to him. So he, he... did a great job of making this movie a passion project. I think that's really, really commendable. Um, and yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the film. <laughs> I, I really, I really encourage you guys to go check it out because it's it's an interesting watch. And um, what we're gonna do next is I'm gonna read a couple of reviews, and that'll that kind of contrast my view of this film. And uh, yeah, so we'll hop right into that. The first review I'm going to read is a one-star review from IMDb user Olson J. Olson J says, If you just reduced all the annoying slow-motion scenes with terrible music, you'd end up with a movie with a reasonable length. The aspect ratio is annoying too. I get it's formatted for IMAX, but given how this release was fully intended for home streaming, why subject viewers to a distracting boxed picture? Don't waste your time. That's their review. So... (laughs) I guess this was just me because after I tried to stay away from sort of articles and news about the film before I saw it. But as I went back in, there's there's a lot of things out there about how how much slow motion was in this movie. And I guess it was just me, but I didn't find there to be an overwhelming amount of slow motion in the film. It was definitely present, but in every superhero movie that's present, right? Because it's these heavy action 
fighting sequence. I feel like in every action movie, there's a lot of slow motion, so we can catch everything in these really fast-paced moments. But I didn't hate it <laughs> or even find that it was overwhelming. And so IGN went in and actually recorded each second of slow motion uh, f- shots in this film. And there's around 24 minutes of them. And so let's say that each slow motion shot is is half speed, 0.5 speed. So one second would be two seconds. <laughs> if, that's, if that's the math, I could be wrong. <laughs> but anyways, and so if that's the math, then 12 minutes of real time footage would be... 24 minutes of slow time footage and so if we sped up all of the slow motion scenes this movie would still be three hours and 48 minutes long <laughs> if we cut out the slow mo-, mo completely we got a movie that's three hours and 36 minutes which in today's standards is not a reasonable length so my man olsen j is discounting this movie over 24 minutes right that's his complaint is that 24 minutes were too too slow <laughs> like literally the the frame rate was too slow for him like that's an episode of the office i think that's a really silly complaint to be like there's too much slow-mo and if it, it feels like one of those things especially as i've gone on the internet afterwards where it's one of those things where like the internet says it's bad so people who can't form their own opinions are like oh yeah it's too much slow-mo and i feel like the similar thing happened with batman v superman 2 is because you know i didn't hate that movie and I'd love to have a discussion with anyone about it because I don't think it's that bad. I haven't seen it in a while and maybe my opinions changed over the last couple of years. But I feel like every time I've met someone who says Batman v Superman sucks, it's the worst movie I've ever seen. And I say, well, why do you think that? I've never gotten a straight answer, right? It's just like, oh, it's bad. <laughs> and so I feel like it's one of those things where it's like the internet has told me this, so it is true. <laughs> and form your own opinion. If you like it, like it. If you hate it, whatever. But like, Back that up. Have reasons to hate it, right? And I think a lot of people hate it too is because it's not an amusement park ride. It's both Batman v Superman and Zack Snyder's Justice League. It's not something that you sit down and say, well, I'm done. It's something that you have to think about. It's something that you have to look for details and look for information. It's not spoon-fed, right? The plot is obviously at the forefront, but there are things that you catch if you pay attention that you won't catch if you're only half listening or half passively watching. Um, Olsen J also mentions the 4-3 aspect ratio, and I think people who are distracted by a 4-3 box ratio are the same people who won't watch a foreign language film because they have to read subtitles. Right? It's, it feels like the same argument. That's such a weird thing to get caught up on and be like, oh, what's up with this ratio? I hate it. Right? Because <laughs> it was shot for IMAX, and one of the things that this ratio does is it captures everything in the frame if it's stretched out you're going to cut off the top and bottom of it right that's just what you have to do and there are visual things that you'll miss an example of this which isn't from this film because i don't think we didn't see it in a regular ratio right but in the simpsons the simpsons just got added to disney plus and they changed the aspect ratio to fit your screen for home viewing and you miss visual gigs. You miss jokes that the writers purposely put in there. There's one There's one scene where uh, Homer is at uh, the Duff Beer Factory. And there's three different large tanks of Duff Beer being fed by one tube. And the joke is Duff Beer is charging three different prices for the same beer. Like that's the joke. But in the aspect ratio that Disney Plus gives it, 
you don't see that all three beers are coming from the same tube. So that joke is completely missed, right? And it's not that funny of a joke, but that's what makes The Simpsons The Simpsons is these details in the background. And what makes Zack Snyder's Justice League Zack Snyder's Justice League is everything in the frame. And so if we lose that, we lose parts of the movie. And we lose things that could be important and could be what changed the movie for you. Like that blood splat for me. Like that's what changed the movie for me. And I think Bong Joon-ho, I feel like I'm butchering his name. He's the director of Parasite. But he said, once you overcome the one inch tall barrier of subtitles, you'll be introduced to so many more amazing films. And I think it's the same principle here is get over yourself, right? Get over the fact that (laughs) your, your laptop or your phone screen isn't full and just watch the movie, get over it. And you're going to, you're going to catch more and you're going to see something because a movie is what this director, if you believe in authorship, but what this director is presenting to you, right? It's his vision. And if you're, each, each decision, each thing that you see is part of his decision and part of his choice. Nothing's there by accident. And so if something changes that, like your laptop, then you're missing parts of that. Anyways, I could go on and on, but I think that's a stupid thing to say. <laughs> uh, the next review I'm going to read is a half-star review from Letterboxd user Chill It's Nikki. Chill It's Nikki. That's all one word, you know? Chill It's Nikki. <laughs> uh, they say, I'm not even kidding when I say it took me a week to watch the entire movie. This is what happens when you try to catch an entire franchise up to Marvel without a proper setup. A jumbled four-hour mess that barely makes sense and feels like it will never actually end. That's all they say. And I think if you're going to go into this movie expecting a Marvel-esque film, then you're going to be extremely disappointed. Because as I mentioned earlier, Zack Snyder's Justice League is not a Marvel copycat. It's not at all trying to catch up the DC universe in order to make a million films for a million years, right? It's its own thing. And so what this movie does is it shows us that there's a different way to approach this genre, the superhero genre. There's a different way to do it than the way Marvel did it, right? Which is refreshing because that Marvel genre is what, 13 years old now? What they've been doing, right? It's almost been 10 years since... Um, the original Avengers film, right? It's kind of been done to death, right? And it's created this culture of superhero sequels on TV shows that in my mind are getting old. And so what this movie introduces in my mind is a different way to go out about superhero movies, a darker and grittier way. And that's exciting to me. I think there's a lot of cool potential there, right? And as I kind of mentioned before, it's it's a way that th- that requires thought and brain power where we're not spoon-fed information, but given a chance to reflect on the characters and the things that we've seen. And again, for me, this was a really, this movie was a, a nice break from the typical superhero movies we see. And again, maybe that's just me, but <laughs> it's frustrating. And I, I have this kind of complaint with comparing movies that are that are doing different things Right? I feel like comparing this to a Marvel movie is ignorant. Or the same way that people are like, Jared Letter's Joker is not as good as Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger's better. Yeah, well, duh, you're right. Of course Heath Ledger's better. But also they're in different movies. They're trying to accomplish different things. It, why, the comparison shouldn't matter because you should be taking the work of art as it is. Right? Like Nobody goes and looks at Mona Lisa and was like, well, Van Gogh did it better with Starry Night. It's a better painting. Because they're different 
they're going for different things, right? They're the same physical medium, right? They're the same art form, but they're going for different things. It's the same way why, why, where you probably wouldn't compare Mario Odyssey with like Dark Souls because they're different games. They're doing different things. And so I think it's important to realize and take movies as they are. And I may have compared a lot to Marvel in, in this podcast, but I, I try, I don't know. <laughs> I think I was trying to do so in a way that just shows the contrast instead of being like, this is better than this. It shows that there's a difference there, that there's not one way to do it. Personally, I do like the DC universe better. I think Marvel has done a better consistent job, but I mean, The Dark Knight is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I think The Dark Knight went above and beyond what any superhero movie has done in the last 10 years. <laughs> and that's just my opinion. But what do I know, right? <laughs> and so in summary, is Zack Snyder's Justice League the best movie ever made? Absolutely not. Is it the best superhero movie ever? Definitely it's not. But in terms of a director's cut, I think it's pretty impressive and very commendable and passionate as hell. And I'm so glad that Zack Snyder came back and released this cut so people could finally see his vision because it's been watered down from Man of Steel. It's been watered down from the beginning and we finally got to get a taste of what he was actually going for. Do I want the Snyderverse to come back and am I behind this Restore the Snyderverse? Kind of movement happening on Twitter? Not really. You know, I, I'm actually I'm oh, I'm okay with the trilogy. I'm okay with Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Zack Snyder's Justice League. I'm okay with it. I don't need more. <laughs> and, and maybe it's just because I need a break from superhero movies. And maybe that's just because I'm getting older, right? I'm not I'm not a 16 year old kid who who goes to the comic book store every week. But as for now, I'm very content with this epic tale, and I really enjoyed it. Um, so that's going to do it for me today. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends. I appreciate everyone who listens. If you want to follow me on Twitter or shoot me an email, I'm at underscore, underscore, two underscores, Luke Jackson on Twitter and Luke.Jackson at thegeekwave.com. If you want to send me an email, if there's a movie you want me to do, if you have a comment, if you want to tell me how stupid I am, <laughs> please go ahead. I'd love that. Um, until next time, I'm going to leave you with the very, very wise words of a letterbox user. Uh, named Shy Shark, who says, Pooh Man, P-O, Big Chungus, Jackie. <laughs> For a geek film critic, I'm Luke Jackson. <laughs>